to Rivers Fog, a podcast dedicated to navigating and clearing the hazy fog of grief by sharing inspirational, raw, beautiful, and sometimes humorous stories. Gather and share stories from real people. Some guests are nationally recognized speakers and authors, as well as guests who may be your neighbors. Grief is beyond just a death. It's any form of loss. This podcast does not provide medical or therapy advice, but rather creates opportunities to transform the way we think and talk about grief and the importance of recognizing our daily griefs. Rivers Fog is brought to you by What Matters Most Evansville, Inc. with the co-founders and host, Jim and Andrea, who simply want to create ripples in the water in your community so you can live well and die well because you can grieve well all the losses. We plan dropping new episodes every Wednesday. Transcripts available upon request. To learn more about us and support us, be sure to check us out on Facebook and Patreon. See show notes for further details. Amy Lutzel is no stranger to grieving. She's experienced various types of losses in her own lifetime, but remains resilient despite these obstacles. Amy developed a passion for wellness after she experienced many years of health issues. Taking care of herself through exercise, healthy eating, and reducing stress is what led her to a career in wellness. Amy decided she wanted to help others learn the benefits of a healthy lifestyle. She has been working in the wellness industry for over 12 years and has been the wellness director at Ivy Tech Community College in Evansville since 2013. Amy has a bachelor's degree from USI and is a certified health and wellness coach and certified personal trainer. She's currently pursuing her master's degree through the University of Missouri School of Education and Counseling Psychology Student Learning and Wellbeing Program. Her goal is to develop a better understanding of human learning and how mental health plays a vital role. Since Amy has struggled with personal mental health issues herself, she's found mental health to be the most important yet most complicated component of wellness. This led her to become certified in adult and youth mental health first aid. After being a survivor of suicide, she decided to receive training in ASSIST, aka Applied Suicide Intervention Skills Training, and is a certified QPR, meaning Question, Persuade, Refer instructor, so she can teach suicide prevention courses. When Amy isn't practicing wellness and self-care, she volunteers for several organizations, including the St. Vincent No One Dies Alone program. Her mother who passed away from the breast cancer was with her inspiration for doing this. One of her goals is to write a self-help book about her life experiences and how she survived them. You can follow Ivy Tech Wellness on social media for numerous ways to practice self-care. On Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube at Ivy Tech Wellness. Also, be sure to check out her Facebook page because she started a personal Facebook page back in 2009 when she was at the beginning of her wellness journey in career called Take Good Care of You. Amy, thank you again for taking the time to sit with us and helping navigate this hazy fog of grief and helping people recognize grief comes in so many different shapes and sizes, forms, intensities, different ways in our life. Because I know when you and I connected here recently, um, you know, LinkedIn, we literally got linked into each other. Mm-hmm. And we talked for what I thought was going to be just an initial 15 minutes to talk business and how we can work together and this health and wellness vision that you have working with Ivy Tech in your professional role. And then two and a half hours later, we uncovered so many different aspects of your own grief journey. And I said, Amy, um, girl, I think we've got to get you on my podcast. (laughs) And you said, okay, I'm at that point in my life where I find sharing my story can be helpful and healing to let people know that I'm not perfect. I didn't just become this certified health and wellness coach overnight. Mm -hmm. And so Amy, again, thank you for joining us today because we would love to hear a little bit about your own story because I know it started years ago. You've had job changes, health, 
lots of complicated losses in your life too. And so yes, I'll turn it, it over. Yes. I, um, I mean, I think it kind of all started back when I had lost a job, um, a career I had been in for maybe, I guess, about 10 years. And during that time, I was having a lot of health issues. I had several spinal fusion surgeries and was dealing with that and had ended up losing losing my job. It was a manager manager position. And uh, so once that happened, um, you know, it was kind of like, you know, I had to rethink things, kind of rethink um, my, my career. And I had to, I started, you know, gradually doing things to improve my own health. I had always been active growing up playing sports. Um, but then that period of my life when I had um, the back surgeries and suffered a lot of pain, went, saw a pain management doctor, he kind of woke me up a little bit. He, he told me flat out, you know, what I need to be doing, which are all things I knew I needed to do and knew would, knew would help me. But getting to that point when you're um, in pain and you're depressed and you've put on all this weight and, you know, just trying to get there is, is, is the difficult part. But then I realized taking baby steps was the biggest thing for me. Um, you know, I took small steps with when it came to exercise, if it was just walk, taking a walk down the, the street, down the sidewalk, that's about all I could do at that time. And then I started buying little uh, things to have at home, like a, a little pair of dumbbells, you know, that I could use. And I started doing more things to manage my stress better, um, started focusing, adding more fruits and vegetables into my diet. It wasn't really about eliminating things, but just starting to add better nutrition. So just a variety of things. Um, and then, you know, it wasn't too long after that time when my mom, she, her breast cancer had returned. She had um, breast cancer first diagnosed in 1994. And then it came back almost 15 years later. Mm -hmm. And it, that was in 2008. And she had been ill, was having issues. And, and the interesting thing is, right before she started having issues, I was having some new health issues and ended up, um, I, was, I was feeling, having a lot of nausea anytime I'd eat and just very, I would get full really quickly when I'd eat and was having all kinds of trouble at that time and had gone through numerous tests, um, actually ended up going to the Mayo Clinic um, from, from that illness. What it, what it ended up being was it was called gastroparesis and that's where your stomach stops contracting and isn't digesting food. And so that's why I would get sick or feel sick from eating. So I, I ended up um, going through all of that and, and was put on medication that ended up causing more harm than good. And the medication, mm -hmm. the medication was to help my stomach muscles contract, which it did start doing, but then it caused a lot of mental health issues. And they even told me at the Mayo mm. Clinic that that can happen, that that medicine is known for doing that. But I went through such a rough time during that, that year, 2008, <laughs> um, that I ended up, um, well, I not only ended up going to Mayo Clinic, but I also ended up in an outpatient clinic at Deaconess Cross Point. That's how bad the mental health got. Um, and was, was and Amy, going before, uh -huh. before this time dealing with these health issues and also the stress compounded with your mom's illness. You, so just to kind of time frame, you had already, sure. um, lost a job that prior yes. job had taken on some new, um, healthy habits, 
before this and before this time frame with the side effects of this medication for your gastroparesis, had you would you say that you already had some challenges with your own mental health and managing depression um, prior to this year? I did, but not to that extent. Okay. I mean, I, I had been on an antidepressant um, for for some a very small dose of it because um, it does run in my family and my brother, which I'll talk about later, um, struggled with severe mental illness. So yes, I did have issues with it, but not to this extent. It, it had gotten so bad and they had to figure out you know, they stopped that medicine I was on um, that caused that, which was actually um, actually a, a known medicine to treat nausea. It's called Reglan. Mm. And there and there's other people I know that are familiar with Reglan, but that's, they had me on a lot of it. I had to take several a day to help yeah. treat the gastroparesis. And, you know, it did something chemically in, in my brain. <laughs> that I, you know, I was just not the same person. I mean, I could, I'd wake up every day with incredible anxiety and mm. I would, I'd be crying all the time for no reason. Just and I didn't know that. what, yes, it just, it freaked me out because I didn't know what was going on. I thought, why, you know, why am I so bad off like this? And I was seeing a therapist at that time. I've always seen the same person and was seeing her because I started seeing her after I lost my job <laughs> and that yeah. that's, that was back in 2006 so I had been seeing her you know off and on through the Just years through the various the, yes yes yeah through the grief Just dealing of, with the grief and loss because I want to handle it in the best way possible and you know I, I know people out there feel, you know, might be like, it's a job loss. That's part of life, you know, but it, it's rough. I mean, it took me until a couple years ago to make the money I was making back in 2006 when I lost that job. So, you know, it, it was, it was a big loss, you know, and it, and, it, and it goes beyond even just the financial, but sometimes it's even just how we identify ourselves, our role, kind of what we envision for our future career path and just, but it yes. also sounds like it created an opportunity for you to do some of your own soul searching, your own health work, despite having new health challenges to have to work through. Yes. Because it's not your average person who says, man, I dealt, I had some major medical health issues, a lot of grief and loss. I'm going to use that to power through and become a health and wellness coach. You know, a lot of people would say, oh gosh, this is too much. You know, when you think about you growing through that grief and trying to better yourself, can you think of anything that you found helpful, whether it be a specific mantra that you kind of told yourself, a specific practice? Earlier, you mentioned just small steps, baby yeah. steps. Was that kind of what led you to where you're at today? Yeah. Yes, and, and I think also the belief that you know, without a healthy body, mind, and spirit, I, I, you have nothing, in my opinion. And I really felt like until I can take care of those things, you know, and I, and I cared about myself enough to, to do that and, and wanted, and with the, you know, encouragement of doctor, and then also you know, I, I'd mentioned my mom's breast cancer came back and she had been ill up in the Indiana University Hospital in Indianapolis and a chaplain would come visit with me every day because that was a really difficult three weeks that we spent up there and I stayed up there the whole time and just seeing my mom ill was, you know, rough. That was another grieving because we didn't know if she was going to make it and this chaplain really kind of, I think, woke me up <laughs> after talking with her each day. It made me realize, you know, life's too short. Here's my mom who's ill. Here's me with all these issues. And, you know, 
I could end up with, you know, cancer or heart problems or, you know, any other number of issues and felt like, you know, if I'm going to make a change, I want to make a good change and I want it to be so I can help others while also helping myself. And that's, that's what that, why it led me into that career. And my first job in wellness was actually at Ivy Tech, but it was just part-time. I was doing that and also um, working at the Y and then ended up finding the full-time position with a, which was St. Mary's at the time, now St. Vincent. Um, and then it led me back to Ivy Tech where I've been the last seven and a half years. So just kind of, you know, gradually working my way up, which started back in 2008. So, um, but yes, I, I really feel like, you know, it was something, you know, that I could do to, to you know, it's going to improve myself, but then why not share it and help others too? So that was my big motivation. <laughs> two, two things, you know, was, you know, piggybacking that motivation is one, you know, for listeners, um, whenever she shared, you know, the power of that chaplain, it's also important to note that chaplains aren't necessarily religious. They don't come to you with their own dogma. They come to you to support you as a spiritual being and meaning and connection in life and your own healing and grief journey. And when you spoke earlier about if we don't have a healthy mind, body, and spirit, if they don't know how to all connect and be present with each other, regardless of what your spirituality is, even as those that are atheists, they believe in some form of energy, even just what energy continues beyond outside of them. Um, Amy, hearing you share just the different grief, you know, I was hoping that you might shine a light on, as you were doing this reflection, you said, I, I want to feel better. I don't want this grief to consume me. I want to feel healthy. So when I'm on the other side, because would it be fair to say the more you thought about your own mortality, seeing your mom facing serious illness, it sounds like when you started thinking about your own personal interactions with death and dying, it actually made you focus more on living well and enjoying life. Am I yeah. reading you correct? Yes, yes. I think I think that that's a big part of it. Um, and just you know, I I had around this time. Well, my my mother ended up passing away in 2012 to breast cancer, and you know it wasn't that long after that where I kind of learned about a little more about myself, Uh, you know, I was still seeking therapy from the same therapist she was seeing, you know, there was always breaks in between, but I was back, you know, seeing her again. And, you know, that's when I started learning more about myself and about how I'm codependent. And, and that's something that's kind of been through my life growing up while I had loving parents there there was a lot of enabling there and just things that you know why I developed that way and I grew up with a brother who had severe mental illness and saw how he was raised and treated and that type of thing and it was just once I learned that about myself I started going to Al-Anon meetings because at the time we did not have codependent um, anonymous so once and I that, did that, and now we I, do. yes, we do now. And, but what I had learned was how I used to be more of a caretaker and about, you know, I wanted to help people, but <clears throat> excuse me. Um, but I wanted to, you know, it was, it was like, I'd put them first before myself and then things switched once I started learning you know, you can still care about others and help others, but, you know, you got to learn how to love yourself first, take care of yourself first. And I would say it was around that time when I started feeling that way and felt like that's why I want to do these things, why I want to take care of myself better, because 
you know, I'm worth it. You know, I, I, I want to be healthy and well. And, and then in order to take care of others, you've got to take care of yourself first. It's kind of that classic, um, for those that have flown on a plane and those that haven't, the, they instruct you before you take flight, they go through in an emergency when the oxygen mask come down, you know, you're losing pressure. You must put the oxygen on yourself first yes. before you attempt putting it on yes. anyone else. Yes. And that's something that I use a lot in my own therapy sessions of, okay, in order to help someone else breathe, you must take a breath and breathe yourself and yes. breathing in that good oxygen, that positive energy, that those positive thoughts, but also it, it's not always positive, happy. You know, it's that ability to sit with the discomfort, that ability to acknowledge things that are outside of our control, the ability to find some joy in the midst of pain and sorrow. And that I feel like is part of that transformational growth journey, because you said something that so many people, um, those that are caregivers, We oftentimes care, care, care. We love helping others that we don't care for ourselves. And there's a variety of reasons why that happens. You know, a lot of people that have experienced trauma and abuse in their past, that's a really big thing. Those that are super independent, always helping other people, they don't know how to accept it or they don't feel that they are worthy. And hearing you say, I knew that I was worthy of feeling well enough. Mm -hmm. I knew that I didn't want to keep feeling this way because I also know that in addition to being a sister who um, grew up watching a brother with mental illness, watching a mother with serious um, health problems, you're also a teacher, a coach, and a mother. Those are so many different roles in our life that grief impacts all of them. Yes. Um, but it, it sounds like in all the departments of your life, you wanted to try to focus on your health and your wellness. And yes. you started sharing, you know, watching a loved one who wasn't able to maybe use and practice those tools as you would like to focus mm-hmm. on his own health and wellness. Yes, yes, and, yes. And yeah. anything you would want to share as you've discovered, yeah. you know, some codependence challenges that you have, but also things that you'd want to share for other people that may be listening. Yes. Um, Well, my, you know, growing up with someone with mental illness, I mean, has so many um, challenges um, involved with it. And, you know, I would see a lot of violence growing up and witnessed a lot of that. And you, know, you kind of grow up with with having that fear and anxiety. It's like you're you get so used to feeling like that <laughs> that it just kind of carries into your adult life. And it's like you and if you run into a situation that's similar or around somebody that's similar, you 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 get those same feelings back again. And you know you have to learn how to to manage them. And, and self-care is one way of doing that. And so, you know, I felt like everything I've done and, and what I've gone into in this field has really helped me um, learn all these different coping tools and, and self-care to help me with that. Um, you know, my I always had a, a good relationship with my brother for the most part. I mean, aside from some of the, the, you know, I knew that he had mental illness and, you know, so I could, I could sort of empathize there. And so didn't like, it wasn't like I grew up hating him, you know, even though some Mm -hmm. of the things that happened and that I saw, you know, it would be easy to want to, but, you know, as, as we got older and things were managed better with his medications, that type of thing, he was, I would always say one of my greatest cheerleaders uh, after my mom and was always supportive in everything that I I've done um, in my life um, even up to a year ago because I think I mentioned to you that he he passed away a year ago and um, you know it's 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 
you know, yes, there's a lot of different grieving there, but I really feel like one of the key things is continue to make yourself a priority and to continue to take care of yourself through these things and reach out and ask for help, you know, not just through going to seeing a therapist, but reaching out to friends or family that you trust, um, a, someone, a clergy um, that you can mm -hmm. talk to, um, maybe a support group. Um, you know, there's different support groups for grief um, after the loss um, of, of a loved one, which I took advantage of that too. Like when, after my mom passed away, I went to a support group and um, it just any, any help you can get. And I'm not one that is has ever been real big on support groups because I'm more of an introvert. And so for me, meeting up with a group to share, you know, was a, it was a challenge, but I, I felt like the other side of it, though, was much worse. If I don't go and do mm -hmm. this, I'm going to wallow in my grief even more and really start feeling sorry for myself. And I'm going to get out of the habit of taking care of myself. So I felt like, you know, that part of that self-care and self-love is to go do those things, reach out and do those things that are difficult to do and stepping out of your comfort zone sometimes. I was, was going to say. You have to, to take care of yourself. You've got to make it happen as difficult as it is. <laughs> yeah. Well, and if, and if we don't do things in our life that make us feel uncomfortable, then we, we can't grow and it's even harder exactly. to heal our yes. grief alone is uncomfortable enough, but if we don't do anything to change it, it will stay there. And there's lessons to be taught and ways to grow within that. But sometimes when we allow ourselves to experience our discomfort a little differently, um, the benefits outweigh the risks of, okay, maybe I'm really uncomfortable for the, for the first 20 minutes in the support group or making this phone call or practicing this intervention or experience but oh yeah after the first 10 yeah. seconds or 10 minutes or 10 tries yes it's better it's it awkward and and you and you don't you just you don't realize until you go and try it and you know and there might be a time that you show up you don't feel like doing much talking mm -hmm. and that's okay just sit and listen to others sometimes that hearing other stories that are similar that you can relate to is helpful. Um, and I just, you know, I kept making myself go and I, and I made new friends that I still kept in touch with, you know, since then um, that were going through similar, similar rough times. You just, you never know what new experiences you're going to run into when you try new things, when you face your fears and and do these things that can lead to new opportunities and like you said for growth and and to to help yourself which yeah. is is so important have there been any helpful tips or words of advice or stories that have impacted your grief journey when you did reach out and connect to other people or resources has there been anything that that has helped you along this this path? I mean, I just think the biggest thing is, is talking and sharing um, about it. You know, there's, there's so many that keep it bottled up, keep it inside. And I was one of those people growing up. That's how we handle things. You know, it's mm -hmm. like you were taught to be quiet about, you know, problems and, and we were, and we were taught to not talk about my brother's condition and not let people know that that's going on. It's all like secret, you know, and that does something <laughs> to a person. If you grow up like oh, that, yeah. keeping, keeping it inside, you learn those habits and you take that into adulthood. And, you know, I but didn't want to, I didn't yeah. want to be that way. I wanted to talk and, and share. And now that's the way I am. And I still run into people who want everything to be private. And, 
and in, in some ways I understand it, but I also feel like more people need to talk and share about their problems and experiences because then that gets more people to open up and that's how we help each other. That's how we, mm-hmm. uh, you know, get get through these these difficult times is to have more people open up and, and talk and share. So well, That's how we connect, you know, our yes. society has moved away from this sense of community where it's these individual, you know, everything's compartmentalized and you do X and I do Y and Z. Nobody knows where their bread's coming from and who's milking the cow today. And is farmer Joe bringing in a new load and who's, mm-hmm. who's making a new dress design? You know, I'm thinking yes. back like pilgrim style, but also even just, you know, a hundred years ago. Yes. And when we bottle things up, it misses opportunities that we can connect. And, you know, something that's really important in regards to grief work is it has to be witnessed in some context. Does it mean everybody's airing out their dirty laundry? You know, it's really just being able to connect. And sometimes not that I, not that I support every life experience needing to be validated, but also just knowing that, oh, I'm not alone, or this is normal, or this really sucks. Just Mm -hmm. being told that this sucks, this is not fair. But also, this sucks really bad right now. And it may get worse at times, but it can definitely feel better. Um, And, you know, bringing in a sense of that community of how do we share these things? And that's part of kind of what our podcast is doing, what our organization. um, One of the things that I have found um, very healing to me and beneficial in my grieving was um, after my mom passed away, you know, I had, I was very fortunate to be able to be with her when she passed away. And that was one of the most peaceful, most beautiful experiences I've ever experienced. And once I did that, um, it, it really made me feel like, you know, I wanted to be there for other people you know, when they were at the end of life and St. Vincent's has the no, no one dies alone program. So about two years after my mom passed away, um, I looked into that program and became a volunteer and have been a volunteer in no one dies alone ever since, which started back in, I guess, about 2014. And it is such an amazing healing um, experience. And and while it may sound a bit strange, you know, I actually look forward to those opportunities. Of course, during the pandemic, we have not been able, volunteers can't come into the hospital, but, um, you know, and once I started doing that and being there for those, those patients who were in the dying process, you know, you, you can sit there and read to them and also um, read devotion, sing to them, hold their hand, um, just sit quietly with them. And, you know, I, I also, I feel really blessed that I not only was able to be there with my mother when she passed, but also with my brother when he passed away, I was there. And I just feel like that's, such a blessing because not everyone gets to do that and even though they were not aware and were basically unconscious you know I think they you know I think they they say that hearing is the last sense that you lose I really feel like they could still hear me and I could talk to them and my sister was there too and so it was just such a blessing and just felt like it was meant to be when I was led to this ministry, I guess you could call it, um, where I, I volunteer now to be with those who don't have family, um, or maybe their family needs a break and, you know, but they want someone there with them. And it really is such a, a such a great program. Um, another thing that I have found very healing is I enjoy writing 
not just journaling, but actually writing that can help others. Um, I've written several letters to the editor. I did one, actually I've done three different ones pertaining to grief and, and death um, after losing, you know, important people in my life. But then also I did one on suicide and, and grieving around the holidays. Um, and then also did one on kindness because kindness is something we practice at Ivy Tech. We have a kindness campaign each year. We hand out be kind buttons and practice random acts of kindness and put kind messages all over campus and really encourage everyone to do to do um, acts of kindness. And it's such a neat it, you know, program just because it gets everybody feeling good and 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 doing these things, getting in the habit of of practicing kindness in their daily life. Um, which is something I think we all need because, um, you know, everyone's fighting some type of hard battle in their life. We don't know what people are going through. So that's why it is always important to be kind. And that's something I carry into um, part of the, the self-care process. You know, self-care is such a, a broad thing. There's so many things you can do, but being kind is to your, not only to yourself, but to others is, is a big one. And that's just something I wanted to, to share. I, my, a, a lifelong friend of mine or some, a guy, a man I knew for about 25 years, we used to work together. So had mental illness. He's the one that, um, killed himself, but my brother his death um, was, he passed away last September um, and it was very sudden. He was uh, 52 and um, he lived with my father and it wasn't the greatest situation just because my father's elderly and needed, needed more care than what my brother could provide, um, which was, you know, due to his mental illness. Um, you know, we had noticed while my brothers, see, he was bipolar and also had some schizophrenia, we believe, but he, he wasn't consistent on taking care of himself, I should say, you know, he, he grew up somebody who exercised, loved working out. He was in sports, which I think that's where I got some of that passion for doing those things from, but he in the last several years, particularly I'd say since my mom passed away, because my mom took care of him. She was a nurse and she did a lot for him. And uh, once she passed away is kind of, I think when I noticed him going more downhill and not taking his medication more regularly or not taking, maybe sometimes taking too much and just not and he had been on so many different uh, prescription medications. And uh, he, September of 2019, well, actually, uh, it was around Labor Day weekend, he ended up um, started having a seizure. My dad was home with him. He fell to the floor. My dad calls my sister because that's just, he doesn't know what to do. I mean, he's 85 and he's yeah. got dementia too. So um, he called my sister. My sister was actually had been sick. So she, she couldn't come over. He was like wanting her to come by. So she called me and said, you know, told me what was going on. And at first we're thinking, you know, we're not thinking it's anything is as serious as he's making it sound. Right. So, but I got right in the car. It was a Friday night, went over there and I found him on the ground and was unresponsive, um, mm. but, but breathing, he was breathing. So I immediately, when I saw that call 911 and he ended up in the ER uh, that night and had a 108 temperature and the ER doctor told me 
that, you know, he's, he's very, very sick. Do you have other family that can come in here? Cause it was just me there with him and they had him packed in ice and, you know, we're trying to get his temperature down. They intubated him to help him breathe. And, um, course the sight was just like oh my god what has happened oh my you know what am I seeing here I just couldn't believe it and they said you know they were treating it they had been on the phone with poison control and were were treating it like some type of overdose but it wasn't technically considered that and after after him being in the hospital while we learned it was um a condition called neuroleptic malignant syndrome, which is something that could mm -hmm. develop from psychotic drugs that you take over long periods of time. And knowing how he didn't always take things correctly, I mean, it's just, it's hard to say what what particularly caused it. But you know, we had to gather up all his prescription drugs when the the paramedics were there to give to them. And the thing that was frightening was he was a hoarder. So he had prescription bottles. I mean, we, after he passed oh away, we, we probably found over 200 prescription bottles in the house. Wow. And most of them were expired. They were just things instead of disposing of them like they should be, they're just tossed, you know, in a pile. Mm -hmm. And but we found the ones that were current and I was able to give those to them. But once, you know, he ended up in ICU, had been in there, was in there three weeks and was starting to show improvement, had woke, woke up and was responding. And the whole time though, he's incubated the whole three weeks. So <laughs> the, the, the one tough part for me was how he kept trying to talk to me. He mm -hmm. wanted to talk. We couldn't give him anything to write with because they had him in restraints because he wanted to pull things mm -hmm. out. So yeah, I it's, never, a natural, I never, it's a natural yes, instinct to pull something exactly, out when it's in our throat. Yeah, it's, it's very uncomfortable because mm. he's waking up and then he has the stuff, you know, all these tubes just, on him. And just the grief of he, watching that it, and it feeling it, like you exactly, have no control. Exactly. Mm -hmm. And he kept trying to talk to me, telling me stuff, I, you know, and I kept saying, don't, you can't talk with that in there and kept telling him not to talk and so badly wanted to know what he was trying to say because he had did that numerous times. And then it seems like after about two weeks, he started taking a turn for the worse. And mm -hmm. that, that entire three weeks he was in there never got rid of his um, fever. He had a fever that whole time. Mm -hmm. And we also learned that he had congestive heart failure while he was in there. Didn't know that. He was diabetic. We didn't know that. His blood sugar was over 700 the night he came in there. And so these are just, these are just things that when we really woke up and saw he was really in bad shape and we had no idea things were this bad that he was, cause he did, he was really getting to the point. He just wasn't taking care of himself at all. And I knew he wasn't exercising anymore. And I knew he didn't have a great diet and had put on weight and he grew a long beard but I mean, he had other, you know, when we saw his, his toenails, things like that, how bad things were. I mean, I was just heartbroken. I mean, it just, mm. it brings you to tears because you think, how come we, we didn't know this? How, you know, it's just, you know, because he talked to me on the phone and I mean, I know he's, like I said, I, we knew he had mental illness, but just didn't realize he was in such bad shape and you know, he, after being in there a couple weeks, he started to decline again. And then his fever spiked to 110 out of mm. nowhere. And they called us and said that this is serious. You need to come in here. And they were packing him again in ice and trying to get that temp down. But once that fever spiked the second time, 
they 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 did a, a brain scan. I was gonna say, and they brain, and they yeah. and they they said that he's there's been a lot of damage done, and they didn't mm. expect him to come back. So they, that they is told so us he never, he, he never, yeah, and he just he never woke up from that point, and they told us that. Uh, we needed to make a decision. And we, we talked to probably three or four different doctors before we made that decision just to make sure we, cause he had so many different doctors seeing him because of all the different problems going on. Mm -hmm. And they all pretty much said the same thing that he's not going to come out of this. And, you know, you leave him on life support. This is going to be him, you know, laying here unconscious and, he would end up in a nursing home out of town somewhere where they'd leave him on that. And we're like, mm. we can't, we can't do that. He would not want that. And yeah. so, you know, we, my sister and I had to make that decision to yeah. let yeah. him, let him go at that point. And, you know, and within 24 hours he passed. So, yeah. um, and it's still, you know, I mean, you, you grieve, everybody grieves differently, you know, but, it's only been a little over a year, so I'm absolutely still in the grieving stages, you know, and I, I make sure I go through all the stages of grieving, you know, denial and depression yeah. and, you and, know. And as I'm sure you have discovered, you know, not only on this last year's grief journey with losing your brother, but other different types of losses in your life that... We can go through the stages and they don't just go in a magical order, do they? They, they don't. They <laughs> sometimes don't. They, they skip they, and sometimes they jump they get... around. Absolutely. They jump around. And, you know, I, a year before my brother passed, well, I was actually more like nine months before my brother passed, I lost my, my friend um, who I, well, we worked together about 26 years ago. He had lived here in Evansville. But then we reconnected a few years ago and it kept in touch, you know, FaceTime pretty much daily. And he also struggled with bipolar and um, he, he did, uh, he was going through a lot during that time and he did end up killing himself. He shot himself and I can't tell you the, the dip, the, the feeling of grief from that compared to just a family member passing away is just, I can't even describe. It's just suicide is just, that's why, you know, one reason I'm like teaching suicide prevention classes now, just because what it does to the people left behind is just the incredible mm -hmm. pain that you feel and the trying to make sense of it and, and come, you know, have peace with it is the most challenging thing I've ever done. And I think, you know, one thing that I found um, just with this just happened just within the last few weeks. And that's why it's interesting. We're, we're meeting now to have this podcast because, you know, I, it's been it was two years last Thursday that he killed himself. And just in the last few weeks, I had had a dream about him. I hadn't had one in a long time, but his name's Paul and he came to me in his dream and it was like he never, never completed suicide. He was alive and well, and it seems so real. <sighs> and I was sharing that because I keep in touch with one of his sons and I, I messaged him and I told him, you know, about the dream. I said, I don't know what to think of this or what to make of it. And he said, well, I think that means he's at peace. And for the first time in two years, I, I felt a sense of peace from that situation. I mean, I never, I kept feeling like that was never going to happen. Yeah. And I, and I wanted it to so badly just because it's just so hard when you think about it how do you make sense of this? And once I, he said that to me, it just really clicked. And I, I just felt like, yes, he's, he's alive and well now he's, he's out of pain. And, you know, and that some somehow brought me some peace with the situation. And like I said, this just happened recently. So it was and just a, a great, you know, 
healing to to find that. So. Uh, oh, I appreciate you sharing that story because I, I mean, even just sitting here, no one can sit me, but I'm 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 sitting on my bed and I'm just like. My heart is like at times like racing. My chest feels heavy. I feel like I'm on the verge of tears. And I feel like, oh, like joy. And I'm it's and that's just me hearing the roller coaster of events and journeys. And you've taken some of your grief work and you've tunneled it into making something positive, a positive ripple effect where you're teaching people about suicide prevention and training. So there are less people that experience what you have experienced yes, and feeling yes. that pain and that heartache. Yes. Um, because it's, it's always bittersweet when we know of an anticipated death. Yes. And even if we have a loved one, whether it's substance abuse, mental illness, various life circumstances where we know they're at risk for suicide. It, it doesn't dismiss the pain. It doesn't dismiss no. the shock, the denial, because all of that entails so much grief. I mean, yes, you yes. know, getting the phone call, even, you know, seeing your brother, even just sharing that story of the loss of control, being able to talk to him, the grief of how, how do we not know how how did this happen just going through the images of his of his bottles that's all grief and it's so easy for us to get stuck on the the blaming ourselves or shoulda coulda woulda didn't yes because hindsight's always 2020 if you yes. would have known how bad he was and if you intervened it may have made a difference then you would have but you did what you did knowing the information you had at hand. And sometimes it's kind of this backwards, how do we find peace and accept the unknowns from the past? Yes. Because yes. the future always brings, you know, our current always brings insight and a new perspective. Yes. But that's also can happen on our grief journey too. New insights and perspectives on our relationship with things. and even when making really difficult end of life decisions for your brother, you, you focused on what mattered most. You focused on if my brother knew what this outcome would be, what would be important to him? Yes. How can we honor him and respect him despite the challenges that he's had, despite maybe some of the times that he downright pissed you off, that mm -hmm. he hurt you, that you wanted to shake him and smack him, but you put that aside and you focused on, how do you love him, even in those final acts of removing artificial life support to allow his body to be natural, to allow yourself to somehow take a baby step towards feeling this natural grief and not judging yes. yourself for the feelings. I know when we talked, um, and I'm talking too much right now, but I know when we talked um, weeks prior to this recording, you said, I finally allowed myself to feel my grief. And to be okay with not being okay. Yes, yes. And that and that's one of the key things is you you cannot try to hide and bury the pain and cover it up with keeping busy or, you know, drinking, doing drugs, shopping, yeah, you know, spending money, eating. I mean, yeah. eating, eating has always been my go-to and really it still is. I'm an emotional eater, even though I'm in this field and I know ways to, to prevent that. You, you do find yourself doing that, but as soon as you do, it's, you know, you've got to have that awareness, first of all, of what you're doing and realizing why am I doing this, you mm -hmm. know, catching yourself and finding healthier behaviors to get yourself to you know you got to feel that pain you know as much as it hurts you've got to you know, let out those tears it. and you've got to let yourself do that to move forward mm -hmm. and to heal and to feel better and and that's what you want you want yourself to feel better again that's part of self-care and um you know, do, so that, and that's been one of the, the biggest challenges, especially with my friend who, who 
completed suicide, I, you know, as hard as it was, and I wanted to find things to distract myself from that pain. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. You, you've got to deal with it eventually, because if mm-hmm. you don't, it's going to stay with you. <laughs> You know, for many years until you stored in the body until you have your own medical health issues. It's exactly, exactly. And that's why, you know, deal, deal with it properly and and get the support and help you need Mm -hmm. to get to guide you and get through it in the most healthy way that you can. It's, I mean, I, I can't think of any better words of advice, especially as we're coming to the end of a year and January, you know, all the different ways that we can grow and start little baby steps for our own health and well-being, because it's real easy to keep ourselves busy. You know, it's kind yes. of two extremes. Yes. If someone's probably depressed, they're not getting off the couch. They're not, they're unmotivated. They're not, that's that's one way but some people you think they're coping really well look at them they're staying busy they're doing mm-hmm, all this stuff mm-hmm. yada yada oh no 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 girl it is yeah. trauma response yes most people that stay super busy that they're on their phone they're doing something they're making mm-hmm. a new there is some type of trauma and grief that yes. they have conditioned themselves to avoid and like you said it is not if it is when yeah it will catch yes. up with them Cause it will, <laughs> it oh. will. And I, and I've had, and I've dealt with that, you know, I've mm-hmm. dealt with that many times and that's why I continue to, to practice self-care and preach about self-care in the work yeah. I do. I push and, that constantly, especially mm-hmm. this past year oh, gosh, uh, with yeah. the pandemic and all, all the grieving and losses people have suffered this year self-care you've got to you know learn to just do mm-hmm. the simplest of things whether it's you know having a habit of reading a devotion before bedtime or taking a, a hot bath or you know just doing something kind for yourself being gentle yeah, with yourself like, knowing that you need that right now to oh, survive yeah. um it's- especially if you're a parent out there and virtual schooling, trying to work from home, all that jazz, you know, one day I'm going to, I'm going to write a book called mommy wants to poop in peace. I, I, I disclose that to some people, <laughs> but sometimes it is finding that one minute on the commode to just do some relaxing breathing. Sure. Mm-hmm. If it helps you get out some other bad toxins out of your body. Great. But if yes. we can help recenter ourselves and get some, some of the the negative thought patterns out or at least redirect them just finding a moment you know including it within our day-to-day of even just as we're emptying the dishwasher um as we're unpacking the groceries just taking that moment to recognize how we feel to take that pause of you know jim always says oh am i mad glad sad angry or numb today you know, check in with yourself and, and with your grief process. Am I mad today? Am I yes. numb? Am yes. I just distracting myself and keeping busy? Am I sad? Okay. Acknowledge that. Not exactly. judging that, not judging the thought or feeling right. Because if yes. we push it down, bottle it up, it stays in our body. And sometimes it's not always obvious to and and becoming aware of something is it, it that can be a challenge and i have yes. found that and that's why it is important to pause take breaks and and look inside you and and take care of yourself and and work on those feelings so you because it is it takes practice becoming aware of when you're doing it because you're not always you don't always know <laughs> yeah when when you're you're trying to to hide some underlying pain mm-hmm. or trauma um, yeah so especially when it's just an automated yes. thought of of how we do and how we respond um exactly <laughs> yeah no I'm I'm so appreciative um I just thought of something else I wanted to add in um okay 
Again, it was so good. I was trying to be <laughs> present in the moment and not pay attention too much to this thought, right? I know. Um, I'm, I'm one of those that's to write it down. If, <laughs> I, I just got to, because it does, it just goes, you know, it goes well, there away. Was, there was a couple of recordings when I didn't think it would record my typing. And uh -huh. so I would be talking and then I would like write a couple things down on a little word pad because I could type a lot faster than I write yes. just so I can go back to but then it recorded the uh, and it, it, it messed up. So uh, you may hear in some of the older recordings. I know not to do it. Yes. Anymore. Yes. Um, oh, I like, I don't want the conversation to end because <laughs> I think, I think what you described is that, you know, we call it grief work for a reason. Mm -hmm. It entails work. Just like yes. you compared to being an athlete, it takes consistency it takes maintenance it takes small repetitive reps yes. it takes you know gain you know gaining insight from different angles changing our balance our weight where it is we're shifting our energy what we're fueling ourselves with just nutrition i can't tell you the countless times i have worked with with clients especially over this past year is we'll be talking through things they're dealing with a lot of anxiety or depression and then somehow we get into kind of the nutrition lifestyle side of things and they may be drinking a two liter of soft drink or five candy bars a day or something and i and i sometimes will say okay we need to acknowledge that you can do all the psychotherapy work under the sun but if we're still putting this in your body you're mm -hmm. undoing the work you're doing. So you're making yourself even more exhausted. Yes. And again, it doesn't mean cut out all the candy, cut out all the caffeine, no. cut out all of this and start doing a marathon training. Yes. Just small little baby steps. Like you said, yes. I just started walking down a block. It was the farthest I could go. Mm -hmm. And sometimes it is getting up out of the recliner, getting, you know, out of bed for one minute. Yes. Doing yeah, walking as yeah, as you're comfortable. Mm -hmm. The big, the biggest thing, you know, that I have found and I, that I tell people is, you know, when they hear that I, you know, maybe go out like now and do a 20 mile bike ride or, you know, or whatever, walk my dog five or six miles or things like that, you know, it, it, it has taken a lot of time to get there. That did not happen overnight. And mm -hmm. I also, you know, I tell people if when you, even if you don't feel like doing something, you've got to make yourself do it anyways. Cause I can't tell you how many times that I have not felt like doing something because of, you know, dealing with depression. And I get that there's days it's hard to get up out of bed and, and, and get motivated to do it. But once I do it and make myself get out the way I feel so, I mean, I can't even describe how much better I feel it. and you get those endorphins going and it's just like, ah, oh, yes, I'm so glad I, I forced yeah. myself. And, and sometimes you just have to do mm -hmm. that as hard as it is. And, yes. you know, I, 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 basically live alone. I have a daughter, a 12 year old daughter. She's here, uh, 50% of the time. And, but, you know, through this pandemic, when we've had to social distance and not go out to places, it can be tough. I don't, you know, I don't want people to think I'm here with this big support group here around me at home. You know, I don't, I have people I can reach out to, but you've got to reach out to them. They're not always going to know when you're struggling and aren't always going to reach out to you. Mm -hmm. so you can't sit around and wait for people to do that and then fall deeper into your hole, into the depression. You know, you've got to sometimes make those steps yourself and make those connections and let people know you're, you're struggling. And, and sometimes you just have to come out and ask them, hey, you yeah. know, can, can you, can we chat on the phone or you know, message on social media or meet for a cup of coffee or whatever it may be. But, mm -hmm. and, and I get that. And, and there are days that are tougher than others. And, and these last several months have, have been tough, but, 
you know, again, what's gotten me through it is remembering, you know, to take care of myself and that I'm worth it and that it's important to do that to make yourself feel better because you're no good to anybody else if you can't take care of yourself. Those are words of wisdom. Thank you so much, Amy, for joining us today. And we look forward to the ripples in the water you're making, not only in your Ivy Tech community, but in Evansville and beyond. Thank you for having me. And All right, y'all, baby steps. As Amy mentioned, just small baby steps. Lean into that discomfort. You got to feel your feels. You got to process this. Baby steps this year, whether that be physically, mentally, emotionally, spiritually, baby steps. So be sure to check out um, her Ivy Tech Well and Fit on Instagram, Twitter, YouTube, as well as Facebook. See show notes for those details. 